This Bee Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate, so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K through 12th grade curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. If you want to bring IXL to your school, you can learn more at IXL.com backslash B-E. That's IXL.com backslash B-E. We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, activity periods, RTI, therapy, and teacher appointments, and much more. With its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com backslash BE to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's myflexlearning.com backslash BE. This is Dr. Karen, and this is the Are They 18 Yet podcast, where I help parents raise independent, self-sufficient kids without sacrificing their own identity and sense of purpose. I'm here to share practical day-to-day solutions for raising kind, successful, well-adjusted human beings, and actionable advice for supporting systemic changes so we can make this world a more inclusive, accepting place now and for future generations. Hi there, it's Dr. Karen, and welcome to episode 19 of the Are They 18 Yet podcast. Today, I am excited to have Nicole Holcomb from Dyslexia Mom Life as my guest. Nicole is currently an attorney, but she actually spent some time as an educator. She was a teacher, a school counselor, and a district administrator. Obviously, not all at the same time, but she's had quite a range of experience in the school systems. But now, not only is she an attorney, but she is actually a mom of a daughter with dyslexia. She hosts a podcast called Dyslexia Mom Life, where she educates and provides resources and support for moms raising children with dyslexia. We get into some great topics in this conversation. If you work with dyslexic children, or if you have a child who has a dyslexia diagnosis, or who is currently struggling to learn to read and write, then you will find this episode extremely valuable. But before I get started in the episode, I wanted to remind you that I know that as we're listening to this episode... It is late July, so depending on where you are, you might be getting ready to go back to school. Some people go back to school early August, some people go back mid-August, early September, but either way, 
you might be thinking about going back to the school year and a lot of people are almost all going back to in-person learning or some form of it. So we've got to start thinking about how to get organized and ready. And if you are in the summer schedule now and things are a little bit unstructured and you're wondering How are we going to get to the point where we're back in the school schedule and a little bit more organized? If you have struggled with that transition in the past with your kids, then I wanted to remind you about the time tracking journal. So the time tracking journal is a tool that you can use as a parent to help your kids stay organized and focused with specific tasks that might be either difficult to them or just a non-preferred task. Something like homework, something like doing their chores or just cleaning up after themselves. Things that you can usually afford to be a little more lax with over the summer, but not so much in the fall when you're back at school. So the time tracking journal just walks you through a strategy that you can use to help teach your kids the self-talk that they need to keep themselves on track and focused and also to be able to look at a task and figure out what the end looks like. What does finished look like and how do I get there? A lot of times when kids are procrastinating with things that you want them to do and they just don't seem motivated to do, it's because they don't have a strategy and they aren't really sure where to get started. And as a result, they're getting overwhelmed. So with the time tracking journal, I will show you how to walk your kids through this, coach them through it so that they can be more independent which, of course, is going to make things easier for you in the long run. So to grab the time tracking journal, all you need to do is go to drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash time journal, and you'll be able to sign up. Again, that's drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash time journal. So now, please enjoy this interview with Nicole Holcomb from Dyslexia Mom Life. Today, I am joined by Nicole Holcomb from Dyslexia Mom Life. So first of all, thank you so much for being here with me. Well, thank you so much for having me. I look forward to our conversation today. Yeah, me too. And there's so many different things that we can get into today. So I thought we would just start off with just having you explain a little bit about yourself and what you do. Sure, absolutely. So I am the founder of Dyslexia Mom Life, and a little over, it's probably been a little, a week, maybe over a year ago, I uh, also found the Dyslexia Mom Life podcast, and I really, you know, I'm just a mom who is raising uh, an amazing daughter with dyslexia, and as I was researching and trying to learn everything, it just was very overwhelming. And there were so many books and so much literature and my background is in education and I also have a law degree. So research is kind of my thing. Like that was kind of exciting, but also when it's your own personal child, it can be very overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And I just realized, you know, being in different Facebook groups and on different social media, you know, there, 
that there is so much heartbreak and there's so much negativity around some of the pieces of dyslexia, especially with our public school systems, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And so I really wanted to give a place that was positive, that was uplifting, that really helped moms with their mind, kind of more their mindset, but also just helping them get clarity. What does it mean for my child to have dyslexia? What does this feeling of overwhelm mean for me? And how can I put things in place to be successful and thrive as a mom and as a parent, but also to help my family and my child be successful? Because that's the ultimate goal, right? We want them to be successful adults. And so I really yeah, created Dyslexia Mom Life, uh, kind of a little bit of a, I think I was something I wished had been there for myself. And also yeah. I enjoy speaking to other moms and helping them along their journey and if there's one thing I've learned along the way is as people start learning about your journey and what you're doing, uh, they have lots of questions. And then as they struggle with their own children, they ask lots of questions as well. So I'm an educator by heart and have been for my whole career. And so I love giving back as well. So I just, um, you know, one of the reasons I started the podcast is that I just felt like it was probably like you did. It's a different kind of connection when you can have conversations with people in the field and people like yourself and connect with people and bring that to your audience. It's a whole different level than just writing a blog post, which I'd done for a number of years. I wanted to add more depth to what I was able to provide to my listeners and to my community. Yeah, I feel the same way about a podcast versus a blog, sometimes you can just get so much deeper from having a conversation or just talking through it. So yeah, uh, and I realized too, for moms, you know, we're all so busy that, you know, does she have time to sit down and read a blog post? Or if she happens to be the parent that's dyslexic, maybe she doesn't like to sit down and do a lot of reading. She can throw her earbuds in, take a run, cook dinner, do laundry, whatever, and still be listening and really get that connection. I feel like the people I listen to in podcasts, I have a different connection to than the people that right. I just reprint off, you know, off of their website. So, mm -hmm. yeah, you feel like you know them personally. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> so you, most of the people that are your listeners and people that enroll in some of your programs, it's mostly moms of of kids with dyslexia? Yeah. So my focus is on working specifically with moms who are raising children with dyslexia. And so, as you probably know, you know, when you start talking about dyslexia, it has lots of different layers to it. So kids mm -hmm. may, may also have ADHD. They may have anxiety. They may have executive functions, uh, concerns. They may have dysgraphia, uh, dyspraxia. I mean, like the list goes on. There's always right. what I like to call dyslexia sisters, uh -huh. which I just kind of made up because there's always some sibling with them. Very, mm -hmm. very infrequently they come by themselves. And so, you know, it's, it's difficult sometimes as I think about it, because, you know, just like with children, there's no one size fits all with dyslexia. It's the same way. So I try to bring people on my podcast that have different expertise who can talk about different areas. Maybe your child's struggling with sleep. Let's talk about that. Your child's struggling with anxiety. And so I also try to get, you know, people that also have a passion for educating and putting positive messages out in the world. And so I really, you know, the people I feel like that gravitate to our podcast the most are moms who are just starting out on their journey or maybe within that first year, who's just trying to make sense out of it all. Like, what mm -hmm. does this mean? And how do I get started? Um, you know, there are some people that are more of an advocacy point of really looking at how do I create the best IEP and things like that. Actually, currently, I'm an attorney for the U.S. Department of Ed Office for Civil Rights, and so I don't advise on those pieces because it's a conflict of interest. 
So mm-hmm. my podcast is mostly in my, my work with moms is mostly about mindset and mostly about helping her get her own goals in alignment and thinking about how do I, you know, position my child? How do we set goals together as a family for them to be successful? And so I give them the tools to kind of go back and look at how do I go about setting those pieces in motion and how do I make those decisions as to what should be our priority? You know, is it speech? Is it, you know, Orton Gillingham tutoring? Like what should be our priority right now? And how do we go about looking for those resources? Yeah. So when people seek you out or when they are enrolling in your programs, listening to your podcast or reading your blog, where are they usually in the process? Like what are the main things that they're struggling with right at that present time? Sure. That's a great question. You know, I I would say based on some of the feedback and some of the moms I've worked with, they would probably be in the first few months of discovering their child's dyslexic. Um, I also have a private Facebook group for my podcast. And many times people that end up in there have you either think their child may be dyslexic, but they haven't gotten a diagnosis yet. But the 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 warning signs are there Mm -hmm. or they recently their child was diagnosed and they just feel overwhelmed. There's so many pieces to try to figure out. And so I think, you know, as a mom that can speak from that side, you know, when you first come into that whole world and that community, there's so many resources you feel overwhelmed and and you want to figure out, you know, who has the credibility and who can you go to and who can help guide me to the right place. So I would say, you know, most of the moms that find our podcast and our website our moms that are just starting out on their journey, or maybe they've been on their journey for a minute, but they haven't got good advice. And so they still feel overwhelmed and they still mm-hmm. feel lost because they keep just dropping their kid off at school with no remediation, no tutoring, nothing they're doing to help remediate the dyslexia. And so they need some additional help. Uh, but I would say the majority of our listeners and our moms that we're working with really are just really starting on that journey because after you kind of get a little bit mo- momentum you kind of figure it out as you go. But at the very beginning, you you feel completely isolated and alone, although you know you're not, but you feel that way for a number of days or weeks or months or however long it takes you to process through that. I tell people it's very similar to the stages of grief. You know, there's those stages you have right. to go through, you know, that acceptance stage. Of course, you start off the denial stage. And then you go through all these different steps until you get to a place where you're ready to take action. And so the moms that find us are are, are probably past that denial stage, but are in that stage of still trying to make sense out of it all. And, and maybe still feeling a bit of guilt, you know, have I done something wrong? What did I, what could I have done better? Uh, you know, things of that nature. Yeah. So it sounds like there's some of them that their child has a diagnosis. Some of them, they think that they might need a diagnosis. So kind mm-hmm. of in that beginning stage. Absolutely. Yes. I'm curious what your thoughts are, because I know that, out there, there's the idea of labeling or putting a diagnosis on a child can be kind of controversial. And some people have mm-hmm. strong opinions one way or the other. Some people think, oh, labeling is bad. You don't want to do it. And then other people are thinking, hey, if you have a diagnosis, it kind of gives you a roadmap and gives you an idea of what to do. So I am curious how you coach parents through navigating that whole that whole controversy and thought process? Yeah. Um, wow. That's a great question. And you're right. There is a good bit of controversy. And, and that's one of the things I think moms uh, struggle with when they're trying to decide, you know, what is the next step? And 
for us, our daughter attended a private school, but we had her tested through the public school mm-hmm. and we did not get a dyslexia diagnosis. It was still in Georgia, not really being, you know, you were, you weren't told your child was dyslexic. I remember right. sitting at the meeting, looking at the people I had with me going, so is she dyslexic? Like, what is this? Uh, because it was that specific learning disability, you know, right. that's coded in, in, the, in the federal regs and, th- and such. And so I think, you know, it's one of those things that we talk through the pros and cons and we talk through, you know, what is their own personal belief system as to how that feels. And sometimes you'll have a conflict between parents because maybe one parent wants to move forward and the other parent is more concerned about the label and how will that stigmatize my child. Um, I think you really have to think through all those pieces and you have to look at, you know, what what is your current community able to provide in Georgia our public school system is not unfortunately at a point where they can provide, you know, an Orton Gillingham teacher and remediation to the level that our dyslexic kids need. And so in Atlanta, Oh my goodness, we probably have close to 10 private schools and programs uh, where I was interviewing a couple ladies in California and their school systems, of course, are way more progressive than ours. And they do have amazing programming within their school system. So I think you first have to kind of look at what does your school system currently provide. Mm-hmm. But, you know, one of the things we did is we just decided to go the public school route because we at least wanted to know what are we looking at? And, and you know, the piece with dyslexia, if, if people are on the fence of should I test my child or not? you know, I always recommend testing because it gives you the biggest picture of what's going on. And because they had those dyslexia sisters, you may find out at the time of testing, it might be later, like we did, that there was something else there holding back the progress. But unless you have everything in place, it's hard to move forward and make true success with your child. So I've always heard people talk about the severity of dyslexia, you know, is your child mild, moderate or severe? And, you know, if you don't know, then you don't know the amount of remediation and the amount of tutoring they might need to be able to remediate and how long that remediation may take without those. So we really have to talk through the pros and cons. You're right. It's very controversial and it's really a personal decision. Um, If I could go back and do it again, I probably would have done a private assessment because I feel like some of these other pieces we dealt with later might have been discovered and we might have had a bigger picture of her learning profile than we probably had because the public school was looking at one particular piece because that's what they do, right? Where in a private psychological, I I could have had a larger view of what was really going on. Of course, there's, you know, what, thousands of dollars of differences in the two. Yeah. So that also goes into play as well. So, yeah, it is it is a difficult conversation to have. And I just find that it's best to talk about pros and cons and then just guide a parent to, to go with what you feel like is best for your family, whether it's a financial situation or whether there is great community resources. Um, you know, what is in play? Are you going to continue to have a public school education? Are you going to shift over to a private school? Like, what are you going to put in place? I think what parents miss from maybe you say the label or or finding out or getting the diagnosis is that many times the child can get additional services in school through a 504 plan or IEP. And if they don't have that, then when they get ready to take the ACT or SAT, they can't get the extended time. You know, there's accommodations and and adjustments that can happen in college that they can't get unless they have a documented disability. So, you know, we're able to talk through some of those things that it might change depending on the age of the child as to kind of where do we want to start. Um, We started in first grade, so our picture looks different than some others. Uh, But I think it's just having that conversation and really thinking through as a parent, you know, what are the pros and cons and what's going to best position my child to be successful? And so those are some things you have to kind of struggle through 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not easy. It's not an easy thing to do, but it's definitely uh, probably, I would say, one of the first uh, starting places that you have to start if you haven't had your assessment done already. Yeah. And I've I've seen parents go through that as well, where the label can be scary and it's kind of, mm-hmm. you know, they think, what does this mean? Is this something that is going to prevent my child from getting into college and getting a job? And And in reality, it actually can, having that diagnosis can give them access to the things that they need in order to make progress so that they can do those things. Like you said, and I usually explain it as this is just a diagnosis that we can give them so that we can legally offer the services that they need. And so if you move to another school district, they're going to, they legally are required to provide these services for your child. It's just a way to follow the process so that we can give your child what they need. And it is confusing. I know it is confusing. And and (laughs) too, like you were saying, you know, once you get that through that first hurdle of what, what is the specific diagnosis? What are we seeing as an area of need? Then you can make that plan with whatever, wherever your child attends school or even the parent decides to homeschool, you know, what is the, what, what are the strengths that you want to encourage and those passions, and then also where are the weaknesses or the, the areas of need that we need to spend time on and, and what resources are available um, at the school and what's available in your community that you may have to supplement with. And so at least you can start having a conversation about, you know, what are some goals we can set for the year for our child and things like that. And so you have kind of a benchmark, if you will, when you're working with school systems to kind of figure out, you know, where are we starting, where are we ending, are we seeing progress uh, and it really does give you a little bit more of a roadmap uh, to, to, to their education. And if you have a good community team, and I always think of a team like a family, right? Because I always believe that working with schools, whether it's public or private or, or whatever it might look like, those those relationships are essential to your child mm-hmm. being successful. And for everybody to know we are all here at the table because we all believe in this child and want this child to be successful. And so when you speak to each other with respect and you really lean in and have those difficult conversations, they're not always going to go your way. And there's going to be difficult conversations where you don't agree with an educator. I know I've been on both sides of that table, but, you know, I think if you just keep the focus on the child and what can we provide and what does the child need to be successful, then you can start having some real good dialogue. Uh, Because when you start getting in a situation where you're more adversarial, it's really hard for your child to be successful too, because they then see the school as not a partner. And so Mm -hmm. I think that makes a big impact on the success of children as well. Uh, Speaking more from my standpoint of being a former teacher and school counselor and a a district administrator, I was on that side a lot of times when parents were just, you know, very frustrated with the system. and, And I get that, but it's hard to be successful if the child feels like the school is not in their corner. Mm-hmm. And when you get school parents and then also another evaluator, because sometimes mm-hmm. school districts can work with outside evaluations right. and it's mm-hmm. this whole team that you can create. And, and like right. you said, that it's sometimes a financial commitment and it kind of depends what your school district is able to provide. But that can be a really powerful partnership, but it can also be adversarial if there's budding heads. So having that good relationship is really important. And I think that the people from the school district, I've been on that side as well, where Mm -hmm. everybody just really wants what's best for the child. I think that in every situation that I've been in, 
that's at least been one thing that's been in common, regardless of whether they were getting along or not. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. So that's interesting that you've been on the side of the parent and the side of the school district. And you've talked a lot about how to navigate that. But do you have any other insight for parents that you would offer just based on having both perspectives? Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think one that we've already talked about a little bit, which is, you know, really thinking through where, where do you want to go with this? And, I, and by that, I mean, where ultimately do you want your child to be? So having conversations with your child, and, and like I said, my daughter was in first grade when, when we found out she was dyslexic after many years of knowing something just wasn't right. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think it's, you know, for us, like right now, my daughter's going into fifth grade. She says she wants to go to MIT or Georgia Tech. She wants to be a chemist. She didn't get my brain evidently because I'm not Mm -hmm. a math and science person, but she very much is, which I'm very proud of. But as I think about what's best for her, I have to start thinking about building out what are some pieces that I need to make sure she has so that she has that option, right? So when we start thinking about options for our children and what would they like to do, I know that sometimes their options or their thoughts might not be realistic, but then I also know that we have to continue to encourage them to be the best that they can be. And so when I think about advice, I think about, you know, is, is one, we just talked about a minute ago, was that partnership, really going in with that positive mindset of, and I know it's emotional because it's, it is very emotional at the beginning and throughout. There are still days when we get a curveball and I think, know that I'm going to make this. And so I think, you know, sometimes you have to take a minute for yourself to to really process your own emotions and feelings about it and then go into the conversation trying to be as clear as you can. If you find yourself getting very emotional where you it's not making sense, it's okay to to, to reschedule a meeting. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And then I think just being honest and open and having conversations. If there are things that are going on at home, maybe your child's not sleeping well, maybe your child's not eating well, Maybe there are other pieces. Maybe there's stuff coming home from school and you're not understanding what the directions are. You know, reaching back out and having conversations with that educator and with the school to build that that foundation and for your child to also see that modeling of advocacy so you can encourage them to then ask the teacher as a follow-up and to start building some of those advocacy skills that they're going to need in college and, and to be an adult. So, you know, I think really just building those relationships um, you know, always trying to be, you know, I, I, as a school person, it was many times people would transfer in and then you would find out like a year later, oh, well, they're struggling because they had an IEP that the parent didn't want us to know about. And it's so frustrating at the school level because there are things we could have put in place to help the child, but the parent wants to give them kind of a fresh start, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that can be very detrimental for a child. And so, you know, I just think as, as, as honest as you can be, you know, with the schools, providing them the, the, the biggest picture of your child as a learner, you know, and that includes what are their passions? What are they, what are their strengths? What do they really like? Because the teacher can pick that up and incorporate that into the curriculum, which can then have them have an interest in what's going on in the classroom, which that connection can be huge. So I think just finding ways to partner with, with schools and finding ways to have positive relationships and, you know, remembering that that they are there as a professional and they want to do what's best for your child. It may not always feel like it. Uh, you know, we've had those years too. Yeah. But, you know, I think just you have to continue to, to, to think about, you know, what kind of role model are you wanting to be for your child and how do you want to model, you know, those advocacy skills 
and, you know, really helping them navigate and having conversations with them about the learning process as well, especially as they get older. Um, I sat in many IEP meetings where the kids weren't there, or even in my current job, I would interview a student in high school, and they're like, I didn't know I had that. And so, you know, it's important for our children to understand how they learn, if they learn different, what does that look like, you know, and having those conversations as early and as frequent as you can, I think really does help your child understand more about themselves and how to navigate their own world. So how much were you talking to your daughter about the process while she was going through it, while she was being evaluated when she was in first grade? So she was already receiving speech services for articulation since she was probably about two and a half. So she had had some more informal evaluations for that as well. And so she was kind of used to that piece. Um, And then we just, you know, we had conversations with her. She was really struggling in kindergarten to learn her sight words. Uh, She had some friends in first grade who had younger, no, had, well, I think the one girl had a younger and an older sibling. She was reading chapter books. And, you know, my daughter knew something just didn't seem right. And so, you know, we just said, we're going to, we're going to have you go talk to someone and see if we can, you know, figure out a little bit more about what's going on with your learning. Um, And then we had a pretty extensive conversation about her being dyslexic once she was actually identified with dyslexia. So probably during the testing piece, we probably didn't go too much into it because at the time, I'll be honest, I thought, because I was told, you know, oh, it's probably developmental. It's, you know, she's just going to click one day. And so I thought, well, maybe it's me. Maybe I'm just being the helicopter mom. Mm -hmm. She's my only child. Uh, We had her when I was 38. So I thought, well, maybe it's just me, right? And I'm an educator. So I see things other people don't see. And I said, you know what, let's at least figure out it, but but I knew in my gut something's not right. I mean, we would work on sight words all week long, and on Thursday night, V would be, I don't even know, um, a spaceship. I mean, it would be something completely not even anything to do with the, the word V or a sight word. And we would both sit in the floor and just cry because she had a test the next day. And she couldn't retain any of those sight words and letters and numbers were backwards. Although people said, well, that's, that's common in that grade level. Um, But then she would see them on a piece of paper and she, you know, be writing some math facts. And I'm like, the number's right there. Why, why is it still going backwards? You know, when she's writing it and, you know, so it was just pieces like that. And so I think ultimately I just went with my own gut on what I thought what we needed to do. And then we just told her bits and pieces along the way because she was so young But then when we started looking at schools for dyslexia, she had to go shadow. And so every kid was dyslexic in the building and it was a big deal. Like they talked about a lot in their building. And so I couldn't have her go shadow at a school for dyslexia without telling her. (laughs) So we had to have lots of conversations around that time. But at the beginning we didn't, I was, you know, we taught her a little bit. And then when we found out and she was identified, you know, I had to take a minute to kind of process for myself really before I could process with her. Mm Mm-hmm. But now she's pretty, sounds like she's well aware of what's going on. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We, we have had some conversations recently about dysgraphia. Uh, we, were, she, we were talking about it and she said she didn't realize she had dysgraphia. And so we had to have lots of conversations about what that meant. And I had to go back and, and figure out some pieces to better explain that to her. Um, and we've talked a little bit about executive functioning and things like that. Although I called it, I think something different. But, you know, just talking about how her brain works differently. And at the same time, we always balance that with sharing with her. um, For example, I interviewed a lady from MIT who is a who is a chemistry professor. 
and she's dyslexic. I just happened to find her. I think it was on like the IDA page or something. And I reached out to her. She let me interview her for the podcast. And I was just, you know, wanting to expose my daughter also to, to people that she might look up to. Um, you know, we talked to her about, you know, the iPad and the person that created the iPad was dyslexic. And so we have, we try to balance that with your brain thinks differently, but it's not uh, differently in a bad way. It's differently because you can think outside the box. You can see a bigger picture where I might not can, and you just process things differently. But because of some of the other pieces, sometimes you're slower processing. Like she might be the last one to finish her math work, but she will get every answer right. (laughs) So, you know, it's like balancing that frustration with, um, with those pieces for her. Uh, but she will, I mean, I remember early on, even before we moved to our new school, we, (laughs) she, I think we were at, I think we were, our community was having like a community yard sale or something. And a lady walked up and I think we had some uniforms from her old school and, She's like, I'm dyslexic and I'm going to a dyslexia school. <laughs> I was like, okay, you don't have to tell like total strangers about your life. But it was just, I mean, she was, she, she's very proud of who she is. Uh, I know it's days that it's difficult for her to understand it all still. Cause she's, you know, going in the fifth grade, she's 10, but, uh, but yeah, she's really excited about the podcast. She, she's very supportive and, and real excited when we talk about, you know, how many downloads, you know, we have and who's going to be on the podcast. And, uh, you know, she loves to have conversations about that, which is also kind of cool as well. Yeah, it's that's cool how she gets to be a part of that. I wanted to, and you touched on some of these and some of the things that you've just shared, but I wanted to talk a little bit about red flags of mm-hmm. dyslexia and then also myths that people commonly believe about dyslexia. So maybe we could start with red flags. You mentioned some, but are there any others that you would let parents know about? Sure. So some of them, of course, depend on, you know, the age of your child. Mm -hmm. But even for us early on in preschool, there were some things that we, you know, which is kind of ironic because my husband and I both have degrees in education and my sister-in-law is a special education teacher and we just, I mean, going through an education program, there was not a lot of discussion about dyslexia, which I I know you probably already know that piece, but Mm -hmm. for people listening, they might not realize. So even early on, we saw things like, um, you know, not those pronunciations, like she might pronounce a different, um, I'm trying to think, like, like she may see a car, but she may say vehicle instead. Like they might substitute words because they can't quite figure it out. You'll find that they have a, a a strong strength. Like they're very curious and they have a great imagination. She enjoyed puzzles. And that's a, a, a piece of a, of a thing there too, that many kids love to puzzles and building models and things like that. But at the same time, many times they can't just do rhyming words like cat, hat, bat. Like they can't, they can't hear that those, those letters and those sounds rhyme. And so sometimes they might have that as well. You know, if there's any kind of history of reading difficulties in the family, many times we might not even recognize that that was, you know, a sign because it is hereditary. And as they get older into like second, third grade, you'll see they're very slow to read. Reading is awkward and slow. They have trouble with words that aren't familiar. I know at our house, a lot of times she'll just say something like she's just guessing at the words and until you realize they're dyslexic, it's very frustrating because you're like, "Why? Well, I don't understand why you don't know what that word is. Mm-hmm. And it's because her brain can't process it. And so, and many times too, you'll find that kids uh, you know, avoid reading aloud. 
you know, some people I've interviewed have even said that when they were a child, they couldn't even spell their own name. Like they just couldn't get those sounds of those letters onto that page. And, you know, you will see a lot of poor spelling many times with kids mm-hmm. with dyslexia, even after they're remediated, we're finding that there's still struggles in, in spelling. Um, but they are, like I said earlier, have a lot of strengths about seeing that big picture or like our daughter had a very large verbal vocabulary. And I was like, it doesn't make sense. And so, you know, when we were speaking and you were saying a minute ago about myths. Sometimes what happens with with parents and with educators is the child is, you know, there is that discrepancy between their intelligence and the lack of being able to read. But teachers just think, oh, well, they must be lazy or they're not trying hard enough. Or even maybe a family member may say that to you because there's this disconnect of this child is coming across so intelligent and you may be reading books at home that are way above their level of what they could read and they're able to tell you all about the story and they're able to recall and have really high comprehension but if you handed them the book and said read this to me they couldn't do it Mm -hmm. um and so you know you see that and you'll see many times uh, like I spoke about a few minutes ago people may say well that's what we were told you know it could be developmental it'll just click one day And, you know, it doesn't, unfortunately, it just doesn't click without remediation and without very specific instruction um, that you would have to receive through someone that's trained to do that. And so, you know, many times kids are, I don't want to say mislabeled, I'm sure that does happen, but that maybe the characteristics of what people are seeing outward, because, you know, it's not a disability you can see by looking at a child, you may see they're not completing their work. Well, they may be dysgraphic, but the teacher or the parent may think this is taking you too long. Why are you procrastinating? Why is, why are you being so slow? Why are you not doing what you're supposed to be doing? You know, um, I've even interviewed people, unfortunately, who've been told they're not smart. You know, you're, you know, why are you acting so stupid? Um, which is so unfortunate. Like I just can't even imagine like that just breaks my heart. Uh, but sometimes, you know, and, and, you know, us included, we had to do our own, our own research about dyslexia and we're educators. And so many times when you're working with educators, you know, sometimes you need to provide them a resource where they can read more about dyslexia. The schools are doing more and more training now as there's more advocacy groups and there's more state, uh, you know, groups as well for the International Dyslexia Association who's pushing for legislation and just education because teachers don't know what they don't know, right? Unless someone's teaching them. Uh, So, but those myths many times are that, you know, the the child is, there's that, just that disconnect for the adult to see, you know, if you're so smart in other areas, whether it's math or science, or maybe you can build, you know, build something you're obviously, you have some intellectual ability. And and when it disconnects with the reading piece, it just is confusing to people. So many times they may, uh, you know, you talk about labels, labeling a child as lazy or stupid or just not trying hard enough. You know, those labels are very damaging. And as kids get older and they don't get identified and and for kids that can't spell their name and they can't write a paper uh, and they can't write a sentence, you know, I can remember early on, our daughter would write her words really close together. And the teacher said, you got to put your finger there to give it a little space. And, you know, she was able to figure it out. But if she hadn't, you know, what what happens from there? So, you know, the biggest advice I can give you on the, the warning signs and the myths is that as a mom, you have to follow your gut. No one knows your child better than you do. And if something feels not 
right, something that's just not connecting for you, then you should ask for help. And that's what we did. We just said we need her to be tested and we are just finding some real disconnect with her learning. And, uh, you know, we were able to get that done and, and get her the help that she needed. But had we continued just to sit and wait it out, you know, we could have lost another year. So, yeah. Yeah. And that's that's huge at that age. I mean, first grade, that is when you see the biggest bump in reading when mm-hmm. with kids the beginning of first grade to the end of first grade. So a year is huge. It doesn't feel like a year to adults, but it's such a big makes such a big difference for a child. Mm-hmm. I think I've seen this some similar things where it's people think they're lazy or or sometimes people think that, well, it means my child isn't smart. I think one of right. the misconceptions mm-hmm. is, well, it's a disorder of intelligence. It's not. It just means that <laughs> the way that your brain processes visual information and vocabulary is different and you need to learn it a different way. And I think you gave some great examples there where it's you have them listen to a book that has really sophisticated language and they can explain it to you and you know, get the big picture and and have a conversation with you about it, but you ask them to write or read it and have them do something that requires them to use visual symbols and their brain just doesn't know how to process it. And it doesn't mean that they're not intelligent. It just means that they're wired differently. So... Yeah, I and that's, that's so interesting, too, because, I mean, you think about things that we do automatically, like driving a car or walking mm-hmm. down to check our mail. And, you know, for kids with dyslexia, it takes so many, I can't, I read it somewhere, it's like thousands of times that they have to be exposed to a letter or to a word or to a sound for their brain to have that fire of that connection for them to get it. And I just try to think about, you know, how frustrating that has to be if, you know, let's say every day you had to send an email to your boss and you had to remember how to open the email and where do I hit send and where do I type the to field and how do I, how do I put an attachment on there? Like if you, if you had to do what you seem like would be very basic, you know, imagine how that is for a child every day that goes into the classroom and and they're trying to, I mean, and as they get older, as you know, they go from learning to read to reading to learn. Mm -hmm. And so then they're just handed material to read. And if they can't read it, they're really at a disadvantage. And so, you know, I think one thing though, if anything at this day and time is that our kids are blessed with, I guess it's kind of a curse and a blessing to have technology because, you know, at the end of the day, you know, the, the, the voice to text and the things that they're able to utilize today and the apps and things really do help them be able to get over some of those hurdles of writing and to be able to have some of that assistive technology, you know, as they get older, that will really make a difference in them. At least, you know, our tutor said the other day, she's like, you need to continue a speech because if what you're speaking, if what she's speaking to doesn't understand her, it's not going to be able to type her out a first edit of a paper. And so yeah. she can at least get her thoughts out on paper. Then she can go back and edit it and clean it up. You can edit it for grammar or whatever. And Otherwise, she would just be staring at a blank piece of paper with a pen, right? <laughs> so it's just, mm-hmm. you know, so yeah, so and you're constantly having to balance all those pieces of, you know, what do I continue with? What have we got enough of? And, you know, nothing's ever going to be perfect. But, but you're right. I think many times, you know, you do get faced with the fact that your child does learn differently. And, and talking about controversy, you know, some people believe it's a learning difference, not a learning disability. Yeah. There's a lot of controversy around that as well. 
but it is hard because you have to realize that, you know, your child doesn't learn like your sister's child does or your neighbor's child does. And, and you go through things, what I call invisible parenting, you're dealing with things that your family and your friends don't see. And it, it can be very frustrating as a parent because it feels very unfair and it feels very unfair to your child as they have friends that are reading chapter books or, you know, I remember one little boy was reading in his car and his mom recorded it, you know, so everybody could see it, you know, and it's just, you know, you're thinking, okay, my child can't even read a sentence at this point. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I think the other thing too, is we were talking earlier is that when you think about sitting and waiting, really it's not till most States it's not till that third grade testing that they'll start telling you, that your child is behind in reading. And as they go into fourth grade, you know, you've almost missed the opportunity to remediate your child. I mean, you can always remediate, but as they get older, their brain starts getting more, well, you probably have a better way to say this than I do with your background, but you know, their, their brain is, it's easier to introduce those new concepts to them as they're younger, because there are a lot of reading rules these kids have to learn. And it seems like by the research and the people I've spoken with, children tend to be more successful the earlier they are. But unfortunately in our school system, it's not till third grade that someone may call you and say, you know what, we're going into fourth grade. It looks like they're reading on like a first, second grade level. And you're like, what? (laughs) So that's why I say you got to go with your gut. You got to really be paying attention. If you see things that seem a little off, do a little bit more investigation on that and see it could be your child just having an off day. Right. But if it continues to see that it's presenting itself differently or, or you have a concern, you know, don't just dismiss that because it's just, um, you know, every day is a day that you can't make up. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that districts are, and it totally depends on geography, like you've said, but a lot of districts are doing screenings Mm -hmm. for kids as early as kindergarten and they're getting better at it, but it, it's so different. You just never know what where your state is when it comes to all of these things, especially if you're not familiar with the education system. So if you have that gut feeling, you definitely want to speak up because like you've said before, a lot of teachers don't necessarily have in-depth training on dyslexia. And the reason that that is, is because with an elementary school teacher, for example, they have to know all this other stuff about the curriculum. And so it's really hard to prepare teachers for every single thing that is going to come across their plate. So it's not like they're not trying. It's just that the way that the system is. And so the ones that really want to be specialists in reading do have to go above and beyond. And as you said, some of the resources out there for teachers, for parents, it can be a lot of information. It can be confusing to navigate, to know who to listen to, and there's all these different theories. So yeah, I Mm -hmm. mean, but I think the best thing, like you've said, is to go through this with, you know, thinking of them as an ally so that you can navigate all this stuff together. (laughs) I mean, it's Mm -hmm. definitely easier to do with people rather than by yourself. Absolutely. And the thing too, with, you know, with, you know, getting services in a, in a school system too, is that, you know, many times, even with your special education teachers, they're working with lots of different students with lots of different diagnoses and identifications. And so they may be in a classroom with 10 kids, but not all 10 kids are dyslexic, right? So they're yeah. having to balance all of that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I'm not saying they they shouldn't be, but I'm just saying that 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 is one of the reasons why we put our child in a, in an immersion school where she gets that 
throughout her school day. And then she's not having to do that after school, but every teacher's or Gillingham trained and they do the multi-sensory and they, you know, do all the scientifically, you know, based uh, instruction and they right. do a lot of, you know, exercises and they do a lot of mind uh, breaks and things like that. But, you know, there's seven kids in a class. So you can do that when you have seven kids in the classroom uh, as opposed to closer to, you know, 30 in most districts. So, you know, it just really depends on where you are. But, you know, but just thinking about our teachers in general, you know, many times they do have, you know, different levels of children and even dyslexics of different levels of severity. And so, um, you know, everybody is just unique as to what they need mm-hmm. or about your own child's learning profile, the more you can help someone to understand because many parents, well, many, many dyslexia, I don't want to say advocates, but people that are kind of in the space with kids that are dyslexic, that are doing things similar to myself, or maybe I, I interviewed a bunch of moms during um, the month of May for Mother's Day. And I reached out to moms who were, who were raising kids that are dyslexic. And many of the parents said the same thing, which is, you know, they want to do what's best for their child. They want to have that that communication with the school, um, you know, and they they recognize that that there's pieces that that they have to do to make sure that that happens. And so, um, you know, it is it's just a, a struggle to make sure that they're getting what they need. But at the same time, being able to really understand your own child's learning profile to be able to really, it's hard. It's hard to articulate what your child needs because sometimes it changes from week to week. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's kind of a fluid concept, but most people have said, you know, this is what I want to tell you. Most people have said, you know, my first grade, second grade, third grade teacher, they really, they recognized something was off and they really wanted to help, but they were at a loss as to what to do. But almost everybody I interviewed in May said, you know, our teachers were great though. And ours were too. They loved our daughter and they wanted her to be successful. And even when we left the first private school to go to the immersion school, the teacher was in tears and she's like, we have done all we can do here. And we've done, we had an in-house reading specialist. She's like, but we've done all we can do. We can't do any more to help her. And I'm so thankful that you're taking her where they can help her. Mm-hmm. And I mean, she was in tears. This is a first grade teacher. And so they want to do what's right. Um, but it is frustrating as a parent because you do feel very isolated to try to figure it out on your own to know, you know, especially at the beginning, you don't know what to ask. I don't know what to ask you. You're the educator. You tell me. Yeah. So it is, it is, it is a little bit of a quandary to, to try to make sense out of it all. And then at the same time, advocate for your child. It's not always an easy path. Well, that's why it's important to have, uh, as you put it, a tribe, right? Right. So where can people go to find out more about you and what you do? Sure. So dyslexiamomlife.com is is the website. And then really anywhere you listen to your podcast, you could just type in dyslexia mom life. We're on all the, the main directories and it will pop up for you. Or if you just go to the website, there's links there to the podcast episodes as well. And also to the resources, we have several, you know, free resources for parents as well. And, you know, if anybody has any questions, they can always reach out to me too. It's Nicole at dyslexiamomlife.com. I'm happy to answer any questions that anybody has. Well, great. Thank you so much for all of this information you've shared and for being here with me today. Well, thank you so much. I always enjoy our conversations. So thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening. 
as we wrap up, I wanted to remind you about the time tracking journal. If you have a child who tends to procrastinate and often has a hard time with day-to-day tasks, whether it be homework, whether it be things around the house, this journal will walk you through a strategy that will help you to support your kids in doing those tasks independently. As Nicole and I talked about at the beginning of this conversation, there are a lot of other diagnoses that go along with dyslexia, other things that might pop up. Things like ADHD or executive dysfunction. Executive dysfunction meaning that the executive functioning skills that allow you to be organized and focused and look at a task and know how to start and continue and get all the way to the end of the task in a reasonable amount of time. Kids who have diagnoses like dyslexia can often struggle with some of those day-to-day tasks, and it appears like they might be purposefully not listening to you or not trying, but many times it's just because they need some support in building some of those skills that you might take for granted. So being able to self-monitor and talk yourself through the steps needed to complete a task that maybe might not be your favorite thing to do or knowing what done looks like so that you can work backwards and figure out how to get from point A to point B. So if you have a child that struggles with those things, then I would love to support you by sharing the time tracking journal with you. All you need to do to get access to this resource is go to drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash time journal. That's drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash time journal. So for now, we will wrap up this episode. Remember, it always helps us to get this show in front of more people who need this information. If you go and leave us a five-star review on Apple, again, you just go to Apple Podcasts and search for Are They 18 Yet? And there is a tab that you will just want to click on to rate and review. We would love to have you share your feedback there. Thank you so much again for listening, and I will see you in episode 20. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments without just teaching to the test? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com backslash BE to learn how IXL's research-based teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. 
That's IXL.com backslash B-E. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into the master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com backslash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com backslash BE.